Good morning, everybody. How are y'all today? Good. Good. My name is Allie Carter. I'm a sophomore in 10th grade. Um, and I have a question for y'all this morning. Are your feet beautiful? This week, we will continue with our series in Isaiah, Ruin to Restoration. We share a common need with Isaiah's original audience. We live in a fallen world and long for restoration. We have seen that what we revere or worship will either further our ruin or lead us to restoration. For this reason, we must turn to the Lord and remove the idols from our hearts. Today, we will study God's song of salvation and how it is shared by his messengers, those restored by his redemption. And God's messengers have beautiful feet. Hear the word of the Lord. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will be before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. All the flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand. Thank you, Allie, very much. That was a great youth mission video, wasn't it? I do hope that everyone takes advantage of the silent auction ways that we can uh, support what God is doing in our neighborhoods and among the nations and in the life of our youth ministry. Uh, it's fun to look out and see some of the folks that have returned uh, from the Mexico mission trip. Uh, we're glad you all are back. It was fun being down there. And even we had folks come back from East Africa. So it's good to have you all back as well. It's exciting to participate in what God is doing, isn't it? Uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, open... God's Word this morning. If you don't have a Bible in front of you on your phone, you have one on the, on the, on the rows. We're going to be digging deep into Isaiah chapter 52. As you turn there this morning, I just want to ask you a question. Are you ready for a breakthrough? Do you need a breakthrough this morning? Uh, yeah, we've got some hands going up. I hope we have some hearts open up 
I want you to look at somebody sitting beside you and tell them God wants to give you a breakthrough. Can you do that? You see, here's the reality. We've been, we've been studying what God speaks to his people who are experiencing the ruin of a fallen world, the ruin of exile, the ruin of being away from home, the ruin of having uh, more fear than faith, more questions than answers, more frustration than you do feelings of God's love. But today we're going to see that if we're going to understand what it means to truly move from ruin to restoration, we have to allow God's future salvation to give us present application. Do you understand that? This is what we've been singing about today, that there is an ultimate victory of God, a place where there'll be no more mourning, no more tears. And when we let that future hope shape us in the present, then we will truly experience the restoration that the gospel, the word of God, the work of God has for the people of God. Future salvation has very tangible and present application. You cannot be saved by your finances. You cannot be saved by your connections. You cannot be saved by your own work. You cannot be saved by what you know or what questions that you can answer. You cannot be saved by the substances that you use. You can only be saved by the living God. And it is an unfortunate pattern of God's people living in a fallen world that we navigate more by our desires and by our feelings and therefore choose what is opposite of what God has offered to us. This has happened since the garden. It was Adam and Eve when they navigated by their desires or their feelings, the, the, the fruit looked good, and so they ignored the word of promise from God, and they, and they took that fruit, and they rebelled against God. And the fallen world ensued, death and despair, distance from God. It was Abraham and Sarah who had a word of promise from God, but they had such a felt need of infertility. Uh, such a long journey, a sense of urgency being old, that their circumstances actually spoke a word that was louder than God's promise. They ignored God's promise and they, they grabbed a Hagar. And now we have a whole different people group. It was, it was uh, Joseph's brothers who had the felt circumstance of jealousy and they believed their circumstance and their feelings more than they did the promise of God, the word of God's promise. They sold their brother into slavery, family division, family strife, because they believed their feelings more, their circumstances more than the word of God's promise. It was Moses. It was the people of God when they were in Egypt who, who believed the burdens, the, the generations of suffering. They, they felt that. And when hope came and restoration came, they didn't believe it. It wasn't until 10 plagues later that they believed it. And when they finally got out in the wilderness, they believed their sense of, uh, of thirst and their, and their hunger more than they believed the promises of God. He was taking them to the promised land, so much so that when the spies got up to the border, they didn't believe God's promise. I'm going to give you victory in the promised land. What did they believe? They believed their... <laughs> Translated, that means, is he speaking in tongues? I thought this was Presbyterian. You just entered Presbycostal. <laughs> what did, yes, God, uh, whew, 
Alex. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I love that man. He turned 30 yesterday. We love you, Alex. What did the spies believe? The spies believed their fear. Oh, they're, they're so big. The giants, the Amalekites are so large. They're going to kick our butts. And they ignored God's promises. I'll give you that land. I'll give you victory. And they kept wandering in the desert. And even when God's people got in the land, they didn't believe God's covenant promises and his word of hope. They did believe their circumstances. They did go to the gods of their culture. They did go to, to uh, finding their strength in, 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 in uh, idols of the land. They did go to what felt better in short term. And they lost the long-term hope that God gives by his word of promise. And so the people of God are in exile. And again, the temptation is for them to believe the feelings of being away from their home. The feelings of knowing that they're under occupation of a foreign power. The feelings will tell them, their circumstances will say, God is not faithful. God will not provide. God will not give you what you want. Continue to turn to the gods of the land. But the word of the prophet comes and he tells God's people, salvation has been accomplished. You will return to the land. There is hope and the future promise of salvation has tremendous application for the people of God. This is what Lent is about, friends. That we've got to enter into the, the humility and the suffering of our day, our fallen world, of our life, so that we can taste freshly the victory of God. Ash Wednesday. We will have a service at 6 p.m. We will embrace the humility of the fall and, and, and of living in a fallen world as we long for the hope that is to come. The darkest hour is right before the dawn. Do you believe that? The famous sermon, the, uh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The temptation to believe that death wins, but to be reminded that life comes. The temptation to be held in captive by our hate and by our anger, but to remember that love wins the day. The temptation to believe that darkness is around us and that's permanent, but to remember that God has won and that dawn is coming and that light will arrive because God is light. My question for you this morning is that do you need a breakthrough? Do you? Do you need a breakthrough, church? Yes, you do need a breakthrough. And that's what we're going to study today. But we can't understand the word of God without the spirit of God. So will you join me in prayer, will you? Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have been a people that have lived more by our feelings than by faith. We have been a people that have allowed our circumstances uh, to dictate our hopes and our actions more than the word of your promise. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to remove those realities from our hearts and by your Holy Spirit that you would ambush us. Help us to see light. Help us to taste hope. Help us to let go of anger and revenge and hate and to hold on to love as love holds on to us. Lord, we thank you for your word and we ask Holy Spirit that you would speak. Please remove the distractions of the one who speaks and the distractions of our hearts. Help us to see you more fully that we might serve you more faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully by now you've had time to turn to Isaiah chapter 52. You might be asking, Mitchell, 
Thanks for your excitement, but why in the world would I sing a song of redemption? Why in the world would a song come from my heart? Here's the deal. Uh, this section uh, is centered on another song of salvation for God's people. And before it gets there, it actually answers that question. We first talked about the new song that God's people sing in week three of our series. You can go back and listen to it. But the beginning of these verses, you see in uh, verse one and two, it answers the question of why we sing. The first thing is that God's people have been woken up with God's grace. Grace wakes us up. Awake, awake, says the prophet. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. Put them on. And this awake, awake, it takes us back. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at verse 9 of chapter 51, where the prophets calls the people again, awake, awake, put on your strength, the arm of the Lord, awake, as in days of old, the generations of long ago. God has been faithful, awake, put them on, take off your dreary clothes, take off your, your garments of gloom. And put on your garments of salvation. Grace has come. Again in 51.17. Wake yourself up. Wake up. Stand up, O Jerusalem. Do not let life get you down and grab the idols of our cultures, whether those are substances or whether those are places that you search for significant and strength that aren't the Lord. Stand up and live in victory. Grace wakes us up. And there, I couldn't study this without being drawn to the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember that story? Luke chapter 15. If you're not familiar with it, I want to encourage you to read it later. It's a beautiful uh, 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 narrative, three parables in a row, crowned with the story of the prodigal son. A father has two sons, loves them dearly. The youngest son says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can you give me all of your inheritance even though you're alive, I just want to use you and take the wealth. We, we treat God like that sometimes, don't we? Like, my relationship with you is not that important. All I care is what I can get from you. That's what the son did. And he took it off, and it says he went into a far-off country. And he spent all of the inheritance of his father, all of it, on partying, trying to win people in influence, trying to be a prominent figure. And where did it end him up? Well, when his money ran out, all of his friends were treating him exactly how he had treated his dad, just using him for his money, right? He was in a gutter. He was in the ditch. Worse than that, actually, he was in a pigstall, right? He was wanting, longing, desiring to eat the slop that pigs ate. And if you read the passage, Luke 15, while he was in that far-off country, it uses this phrase. It says that he came to his senses, right? he realized that there's a greater reality than his circumstance. He was still a son of his father. And maybe, maybe even though he rejected the father's love, maybe the father's love was still there. Even though he rejected the, the house and the family of the father, maybe he could be welcomed back. And he came to his senses and he chose to stand up and to go back to the father. And if you know the parable, you know that the father was waiting for him and celebrating Mitchell, why did you think of that? Well, look down at verse 2. Look, it says, shake yourself from the dust and arise. Loosen the bonds from your neck, O captive. Wake up. Grace wakens us. God's love is not based on your performance. 
You know that he has redeemed and he will redeem. That's what goes next. Redemption has come and it will be fully experienced when you return to the Father. He spends the next two verses, we don't have time talking about it, but talking about the redemption that he accomplished in Israel, that they were sold for nothing. He bought them for nothing from Egypt, that they were redeemed. God had bought them and made him his own so that his name would be on them. They belong to him. He's the father. They were the son. He's the father. We're the children. We can come back and by his grace, we can wake up. We're not defined by the dust, but we can find dignity and the desire of our father who loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. Return. Let grace awaken you. God loves you not because what you've done, but because of what he has done. And in covenant faithfulness, you belong to him. He has chosen his children. Come back to him. And we sing a song of redemption. No matter what kind of pig slop and filth we find ourselves in, we can get up and sing of resurrection hope. That God has redeemed, he will redeem, and we belong to him. Do you believe it this morning? The next question uh, we ask is, who sings this song of redemption? Because singing happens. If you go to Luke 15, the beginning of the, of the first parable talks about how God came to love sinners. And when sinners come home, all the angels in heaven sing. There's a party in heaven. They are singing more so than when you have a self-righteous person who says, well, I did go to church this week. I did go to Bible study this week. There's no singing over that. There's singing that happens. When sinners come home, when, when they come, in fact, when the son comes back to the house, the father throws a party. There is singing. There is dancing. There is sacrifice. There is restoration. There is renewal. Who sings this song of redemption? The people of God are scattered all over what was Assyria, what is Babylon, what will soon be Persia in this time of history. They're scattered in dispora community, but united by one thing. They belong to the Lord. They belong to the Father, and they're united by this song of salvation. And we see in this passage that song moves from an individual experience in reality. It moves outward to a corporate neighborhood and then the nations. And then we actually are the ones who are sent with beautiful feet for others to sing the song. Look at verse 7. Who sings this song of salvation first? It's messengers. Beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That is a messenger, someone who publishes peace, someone who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. That person is singing, singing of victory when it doesn't seem like victory, singing of hope when it feels like despair, singing of light when it feels like darkness, singing of love when all you feel is anger, bitterness, and hate. The one who's experienced those realities from the loving, unconditional love of the Father is the one who sings of that. He's the messenger. We'll get back to that. But it turns from an individual to a corporate thing. Verse 8, the voice of your watchmen. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. This song of salvation singing in the rain. At night waiting for the dawn. The watchmen sing as well. Who are the watchmen? The watchmen, that's another word for prophets. Those people who are called to protect, who are called to keep covenant faithfulness of the people, who speak truth and compel people to repent and return. The watchmen sing because they see the fullness of what they've been prophesying. Isaiah is a watchman. Jeremiah was a watchman. Amos was a watchman. Malachi was a watchman. Habakkuk 
was a prophet, a watchman who called out to the people of God. And if you go to the book of Habakkuk, you see the beginning is just this lament. How long, O Lord, will death and despair reign? And the end is a song. Though there are no cattle in the stall, though the fig tree does not bud, I will trust in the Lord. You see, when we have the the surety of the hope of future salvation, there is this present tense application that moves us from despair to dancing, from sorrow to singing, and the watchmen join the chorus. But you know who else is singing? It's the city. Can you say the city? The city. The city sings too. Verse 9, break forth together in singing, you wasted places of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in ruins. Jerusalem was devastated. But somehow in the midst of our devastation and ruin, even in our city, we celebrate and sing. This Lent, if you're looking for something to guide you, I want to encourage you to pray for our city. We have these guides out there. Our prayer committee has put these out. Grab one. Pray through it. It's put out by the same people that we, uh, we had the uh, Ramadan uh, month of prayer last uh, May and June. Put out by the same people who work with the perspectives class that we hosted last fall. And this will be a guide into pray for our city, uh, all different demographics of our city. And also there's uh, some tools to pray for specifics from youth to families, uh, but also uh, um, different parts of the world. It will connect you with cities of the world. So please take one of these. Uh, Let's seek God for our city because we want our city to sing. We want our city to sing, don't we? Even though there's ruin, we want to join the chorus. The city joins the song of salvation. Uh, Finally, verse 10, uh, all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of God. It moves from this individual place, the messenger, to this corporate reality, the watchman, uh, to this civic reality, the city rejoices. And when the righteous rejoice, the city rejoices with it. That's uh, Proverbs 13. Uh, And then the nations moves out because the gospel is unbound. The song of salvation isn't held by our circumstance. The problem is that we are, right? We, get, we define ourselves by our circumstances and God says, rise up, get your head out of the ashes. Don't live in darkness and despair. I've won, victory has been accomplished. It will be applied. Stop looking at substances and start living in the only true substance that you have not by what you see, but what is unseen, the victory of God. The glory of God will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. That's Isaiah 6. That's the call of Isaiah. That's where this thing is going. Do you see higher today? Do you? Do you see beyond your circumstances to the one who is sovereign over it all? I hope so. Because the subject of salvation, the subject of the song is God reigns. Look at verse 7. God reigns. Your God reigns. What is the being published for salvation? Your God reigns. What is the good news of happiness? Your God reigns. What is the publishing of peace? Your God reigns. What is the bringing of good news by the messenger? Your God reigns. The messenger comes. Do we believe? The gospel announcement is clear. We say, well, what about my sin? What about my failures? What about my shame? The messenger says, your God reigns. Well, what about my suffering? What about my struggles? The messenger says, your God reigns. What about my separation? What about my relational conflict? What about the distance in relationship? The messenger says, your God reigns. Well, what about my suffering? Your God reigns. What about my sickness? 
Your God reigns. What about my struggles? Your God reigns. What about my debt? Your God reigns. What about death, Mitchell? Your God reigns. What about disease? Shouldn't we panic? Your God reigns. What about division? What about the, the, the tribalism? What about the distance I feel in our society? The messenger says, your God reigns. Well, what about the bondage that I feel? Your God reigns. What about the defeat that I've experienced? Your God reigns. What about the brokenness in my life, my family, my relationships? Your God reigns. What about the uncertainty I have about my future? Your God reigns. What about the anger in my heart? Your God reigns. That's what the gospel announcement is. And when God's people begin to taste the fullness of who God is and what he has done for his people, then we are changed. And through that, our circumstances are changed. Do you get it? How does God give hope? Through people who've believed hope. How does God bring light? <laughs> through people who believe light. How does God bring strength? Through people who lean on him totally for strength and who go. And that's the final question. How's this song shared? Well, God sends his people out, verse 11. Depart, depart, go from here. Go away from your despair. Go away from your discouragement. Go away from your despondency. Go away and go into this world and share the light and the life. He says, I love it, in verse 11. He says, take with you the holy vessels of the Lord. Those are vessels that were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar out of the temple. Utter just trash-talking in defeat of Israel and their God. And he says, they're still preserved. Take them. And those vessels are no longer just for Levites. They're for the priesthood of believers that have called. They're called to be bearers of this message and bearers of this hope. Well, what? I'm nervous. I'm nervous, God. How can I do that? Look at verse 12. He says, the Lord goes before you. The God of Israel will be your real guard. You're protected. You say, Mitchell, is that a fair application of this passage? I mean, does it really mean that I'm the one sent? This is Old Testament stuff, man. This is Isaiah. Does it really apply to me? You know what I say? Yeah. How do you know? Uh, Paul, the apostle, he applies it to you. He applies it to the church. Look at these passages. He quotes this. He's talking. He, he's talking to the Roman church. He says, look, how are people going to know? How are they going to call on him unless they've believed? And how are they going to believe in, in Christ of whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they going to uh, preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, I don't know why God chose you <laughs> and chose me to be his agents of salvation, his, his ministers of reconciliation, I don't know why you're an ambassador for Christ, but that doesn't change his choice. His plan A is to use you. And I want to encourage you, he's going to use even the smallest thing you can do. I want to end by telling you a story. Uh, sometimes my family makes fun of me because um, when I'm in line at HEB, the grocery store, uh, I always talk to the people uh, that are in front of me and behind the counter. I don't, it's this instinct. That I'm like, they're trapped. They have to listen to me, right? <laughs> And I'll just start talking and talking. And most of the time, my intentions are good. Sometimes I just like an audience. I'll confess that. 
But oftentimes my wife will be like, can't you tell they're not even looking or listening at you? You It's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'll stop now. But the awesome thing happened the other day. I really, uh, I was waiting in line, and I had a real burden for the woman behind the counter. And you could just tell she was in despair. She was in darkness. She was in brokenness. She was real discouraged. And in my heart, you know, I was like, man, I've been there. I've been in that place, and I know Jesus is the answer. I know he is. I said, Lord, help me. Help me just to share your light and your love with this person. And I started talking. It was my turn. You know, I only had about eight or nine items. I was in the 15 Express checkout. You know, I don't like to brag, but that's where I was. And I started talking with her, and it just wasn't right. I didn't want to force it. I just wanted to show love and uh, help lift her eyes off of whatever was on her heart. And there was a guy behind me, and he uh, clearly uh, was in a hurry. He just had one thing he needed to get, and it was a bundle of grapes. He had a whole lot of grapes, and he was waiting for me, and I knew I was taking my time talking to this person. I said, I, I don't want to waste his time. I don't want to force anything. So I said uh, to the woman, I said, hey, can you put his grapes on there too? I just want to buy his grapes. She was like, really? I said, yeah, he's going to hurry. Put his grapes on there. And I thought he'd just grab them and he'd go. And she looked at him. She goes, that was such a nice thing. And he goes, lady, I don't remember he said her name or not. He goes, lady, you got to know something. God takes care of his servants. And this man begins to do the exact thing that I was afraid to do. He goes, he goes ma'am, I follow Jesus. And Jesus knew I needed grapes. And when you trust Jesus, he's going to provide for you just like he has for me. And he looked at me and said, thank you, and walked out. And I looked at her, I was like, (laughs) it was so cool. But I tell that story, listen, God wants to use whatever you can give. He will multiply your fear. His plan A to bring hope are people who have believed in him for hope. His plan A to bring light is you, people who believe that he is the light, no matter how dark the world is. His plan A for bringing life, restoration, redemption, and healing are people who have believed. There is a very current, present application for believing in the future promises of God, the coming salvation. Christ will come back. Death has been defeated. Love wins. Do you believe? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be recipients of your love and grace, but then to be dignified, to show your love and grace to others. Lord, for people in here today that are really struggling to believe, I pray that your spirit would meet them and that you would overwhelm them with your sufficiency. Lord, for those of us who do believe, would you deepen our faith in you? Open our eyes to see you more fully. And Lord, we do pray for our city. We pray that our city would rejoice and join the song of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.